and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 7. Gospel of John chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 25 through 36 today. And welcome to week 20 of our series in the Gospel of John. And maybe you're starting to see that the Gospel of John is like a spiral staircase. So we keep circling back to the same themes concerning Jesus. But praise be to God, we're going up. We're going up, and we're coming to learn more about who Jesus is. And just think about those three words now in the form of a question, who is Jesus? Who is he? From beginning to the end of the Bible, it is all about him. The entire storyline of the Bible is built on answering the question, who is Jesus? While there are many questions that we don't know, the Bible makes this question very clear to us and for us. And regardless of what you think about him personally, Jesus Christ stands as the central figure in the history of Western civilization. In fact, one famous and respected historian put Jesus' influence like this, said, if it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of Jesus' name, how much would be left? That's a good question, he says, and the answer is probably not much. So if you can pull up all of history that even somehow bears his name, not much history would be left apart from him. So who is Jesus? Who is he? That's always been the question. From the moments the shepherds showed up claiming the angels had told him about his birth to the day he astonished the disciples by calming the storm to the moment the sun itself stood still at his death. Everyone has been asking the question, who is this man? What sort of man is he? Who is he? He was a man violently rejected by many and yet passionately worshipped by others. Jesus remains as polarizing as ever, but most people still know little about who he really is, about why he came, about what he really claimed over his own life. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you begin to talk about someone else that you think both of you know. So we'll call that person Johnny. And you go on for some time talking about Johnny and they say th- some things about Johnny that gives you um, the impression that you're first talking about the same person. And more, the more you go, the more you talk, you begin to realize, I don't think we're talking about the same Johnny. So you stop and you say, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you talking about Johnny? You know, he's tall and slender. He used to work at the docks. Um, he's married to Gina. They're living on a prayer. Now, you, is that who you're talking about? And of course, he says, no, 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 Johnny. He's, he's short and, and, and stocky. He works at the bank. And then there's this awkward moment when you realize that you've been talking about two different people. The same name, but not the same person. And let me just say this. Some of you are going, where are you going with this? This is how many modern-day conversations go concerning Jesus. Jesus comes up in conversation, and people begin to talk, and although they're using his name, they're using the right name, they are not speaking about him in his fullness. It is common, yet sad, how many will claim to believe in Jesus, to know Jesus, to even serve Jesus while maintaining an utterly unbiblical view concerning him. You know, we say Jesus, they say Jesus, but a brief conversation reveals that we're not talking about the same Jesus. Now, of course, on the flip side, there's many people who look at us as Christians and we begin to talk about the Jesus of the Bible. And they go, well, that, that's not my Jesus. 
You know, my Jesus would never, my Jesus would never judge. My Jesus would never say hateful things. My Jesus would definitely never um, talk about people and say that they're whitewashed tombs and filled with death. My Jesus wouldn't do that. And the problem is, and we've said this over and over and over again, and we'll keep saying it. Any Jesus that we create on our own, apart from this book, is a Jesus that cannot save us. He cannot save. That kind of Jesus cannot save us. So the ultimate question over our lives today is a question concerning Jesus. Who he is. And not just who do you think he is. Because really our opinions don't matter. Really is how are we responding to the Jesus that he revealed himself to be? How are we responding to him? So let's dive in this morning and continue walking through John 7. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read verses 25 through 36 together. And the apostle John writes these words. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him and they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me where I am. You cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? And what does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today based on the words of Jesus here. Again, the revelation of Jesus for who he is. As we think about that question today, is this the Christ? Is Jesus the Christ? May we be biblically informed today. May we come before Jesus humbly, but may we also come before Jesus the only way we can, biblically. And may we see Jesus today. By the light of your word, may we see a clear picture of who he is and may we respond rightly to you today. Have your way. Speak, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. And I want you to think about this. Ten billion years from now, every single one of us in this room watching online, we will exist. Yet the quality of our, of our eternity will be tethered to how we responded and answered the question, who is Jesus? Who he is? It's the most important question we will ever face. And in the world in which we live, everyone has an opinion concerning him. As I said just a second ago, everyone kind of creates in their own mind their own image of Jesus. And you've heard this before, but people have, we have the Republican Jesus, we have the Democrat Jesus, we have the Robin Hood Jesus who robs from the rich and gives to the poor. We have therapist Jesus who makes us lay on the couch, talk about our lives, and says, how does that make you 
fill. We have open-minded Jesus who, of course, um, loves everyone except for those who aren't as open-minded as he is. We have touchdown Jesus who always is for your team and helps your athletes run faster, hit the ball harder, catch the ball, score touchdowns. Um, and, and no word, I, I will not give any word right now to any team I do not like. Moving on, we have martyr Jesus, a good man who, of course, came to this earth and was killed for a good cause. We have gentle Jesus who just always had messages of gentleness and love um, and just fluffy messages. We have hippie Jesus who, of course, loved the Beatles and all we need is love. We have fortune cookie Jesus who always has a great saying for us and we just live by those sayings even though sometimes they're confusing and don't make any sense whatsoever to our lives then we have spiritual Jesus who just wants us to be spiritual in whatever far out weird way we might be then we have good example Jesus who just came to this earth to be a good example so that we could follow him and then finally there is Jesus the Christ the son of the living God our Lord and not just another prophet, not just a good man. This biblical, historical Jesus is not a reflection of your current mood or my current mood. And he is not a projection of our own desires. He is our Lord. He is our God. He is the Father's Son. He is Savior of the world. He is the only substitute for your sin and my sin. And He is more loving, He is more holy, and He is more terrifying than we care to imagine. How do I know He's terrifying? Read Revelation. Read, read Revelation. You see, this is about more than just getting the facts right. This is about knowing the right person. This is more than just about right doctrine. Although doctrine is important, this is also about a relationship. Because you can know a lot of stuff. You can know many, many things about the Bible and yet still not be walking in relationship with him. So when we come to John 7, there's a widespread confusion about the identity of Jesus. As we saw last week, is he a good man? Is he a heretic? Is he demon-possessed? Or as we just read in verse 27, is he just one of the boys? Is, it, is he just one of us from down the street? And for the first time since John 1 the possibility begins to dawn, is this, could this be the Christ? The people begin to ask that question. Could he be the Christ? And the only reason they're considering this possibility is because of the way the religious leaders are responding to him. Meaning, he's in the temple, he's speaking, and they're doing nothing about it. So the crowd begins to say, well, do they know something that we don't? Have they understood that he's the Christ and not told us yet? Are they worshiping him secretly and we don't? No. Have they changed their opinion about him? So the question here that they begin to ask is one of the most important questions we can ask. Is Jesus the Christ? And of course, we know Jesus Christ. And just, just so you know, just to make it very clear, Christ is not his last name. So just understand that Christ is his title. It means the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the one anointed by God. The word Christ appears uh, 17 times in the Gospel of Matthew, 11 times in the Gospel, or 7 times, excuse me, in the Gospel of Mark, 12 times in the Gospel of Luke, and 19 times in the Gospel of John. Christ is the foundational picture of who he is. If, if you remember the purpose of the Gospel of John in John 20, John says, I write these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may have life in him. And although this message is centered around the question, as you see on the screen, is this the Christ? There are three questions that 
kind of rise up in these 12 verses that we just read. Three questions that force us to make a determination, a decision, an assessment concerning him. For every person has to make a decision, a determination about who Christ is. And will you believe the Christ of this book? So three questions that rise up that we're going to take on today. Number one is this, where is Jesus from? Where is Jesus from? And look at verse 27. It says this, as you see on the screen, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So it was a common belief at that time amongst the Jews that when Christ came, he would appear suddenly, meaning in their minds they weren't supposed to know where he came from, even though in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we're told that he would come from Bethlehem. But they were kind of ignoring that, and they were basically, there was a common belief of a faulty understanding of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Malachi, of course, was a prophet who spoke about 500 years before Jesus came. And in Malachi 3.1, it says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, John the Baptist, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi says, in their minds, the Lord will come suddenly to the temple. So, so others were, were puzzled concerning Jesus because they they knew about his earthly origin. They knew his father and mother. They knew his brother and sisters. They knew that he grew up in Nazareth. They knew where he came from, at least from an earthly perspective. They understood that. But notice what John does here. If these, brothers, if these individuals were saying, no, when Jesus comes, he's going to come suddenly to the temple. Well, John has already painted a picture twice now of Jesus coming suddenly to the temple. And John, too, Jesus suddenly comes to the temple with a whip, and he cleaned house. In fact, everyone was so afraid of him, they left the temple. They took off for fear of him. Now, we, we see this picture. Last week, we heard Jesus talk to his brothers, and his, his brothers say, hey, go up to Jerusalem with us to the temple. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going up with you. And then later on, Jesus goes up to the temple. And some say, well, Jesus lied. No, that's not what Jesus was doing. What Jesus was doing, the point is, Jesus did not say, I won't go up to the temple. He was saying, I won't go up to the temple and fulfill the purpose that you're trying to get me to fulfill. I won't be on your timetable. I won't do what you want me to do. I, I will only do what the Father wants me to do. And then Jesus did go up to the temple, and he went in secret. Everyone was looking for him. They wanted to know where he was, yet he remained hidden. And then, get this, suddenly he shows up in the temple in the middle of the feast of of Booth, and he begins to speak. He begins to, to speak. And he came suddenly to the temple, yet the, the crowd is basically saying to Jesus and about Jesus, listen, this guy's too ordinary to be our Messiah. He's too ordinary. He didn't fit the mold of what they wanted in a Messiah. They looked and thought of what a Messiah should be like. They looked at Jesus and said, there's no way he can be that. And then look at verse 28. Verse 28, it says, so Jesus proclaimed. That word proclaimed literally means cried out or screamed passionately. So imagine Jesus in the temple screaming. And there were four different times in the New Testament where this word is used of screaming and crying out. Now there's one time at the cross where a greater word, a deeper word is used, where Jesus cries out from the cross. But here we have four times of Jesus screaming out. And what does he scream here? Look at verse 28. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. So Jesus looks at the crowd and says, yes, you have part of the story right. You kind of know where I came from 
from an earthly standpoint. You know I am a Jew from Nazareth. You know my dad and my mom. You know my brothers and my sisters. But that's all you know because you don't know God. So the word know appears seven times in four verses. And what Jesus is saying is this. Listen, you're a people who pride yourself on thinking you know God. And I'm here speaking to you, telling you, you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you would know me. But because you don't know me, you don't know him. The crowd's biggest issue here is not a lack of information. Their biggest issue is they don't know God. They're not responding rightly to God. Remember John 5. If you don't honor the Son, you aren't honoring the Father. You're just not. And I think of the words of Warren Wearsby, who said, Jesus was once again right here claiming to be God. He was not simply born into this world like every other human. He was sent to this earth by the Father. This means that he existed before he was born on this earth. Follow with me here. Yes, Jesus was on earth. But he was from heaven. He was from the Father. And he came down from heaven to us. Hear this. For us. He came to us and he came for us. We know where he is from. Yes, we can say from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. But he is from heaven. Eternal God of eternal gods. Where is Jesus from? Which leads us to the second question. Why is Jesus here? Why is Jesus here? And follow with me here. In one standpoint, we could answer this question by saying, why, did, why is Jesus here? Why did he come? And we could say, well, Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Jesus came to earth to save sinners. Jesus came to bring light to a dark world. Jesus came to be made like his people. Jesus came to bear witness of the truth. He came to destroy the, the devil and the works of the devil. He came to give eternal life. He came to... Bring joy and peace to us. He came to preach the gospel. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came not to be served by us. He came to serve us. And he came to reveal the glory of God to us. We can say all those things about Jesus, Jesus and more about why he came to earth. But that's not the question that's being asked here. When I say, why is Jesus here? Here's the question I'm asking. Everyone in that crowd wanted to see Jesus arrested and dead. So the question is, so why isn't he dead? Why isn't he arrested? Why is he still there among them if all of them want to see him, or most of them want to see him dead? Look at the screen, verses 30 and 31. They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him they wanted to seize jesus but no one laid a hand on him no one even touched him why 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 would that be the case and from a human standpoint we could say well jesus was a very powerful individual they would have been right because jesus went into the temple he literally cleared house he has supernatural power over demons over disease over deformity over nature and undoubtedly he had supernatural power over every single one of them so from a human viewpoint, they're paralyzed by his power, or there's, they're just confused. Some of the crowd is like, this guy must be the Messiah. Others, them, others have already closed their heart and their mind. They're saying, I refuse to believe. I don't even care if he rises from the dead. I still won't believe, which is exactly what happened, exactly what you see. And all of that would be a human explanation, but 
The divine explanation is the only one the Bible gives. So the Bible doesn't give us the human explanation as to why he wasn't arrested. It gives us the divine explanation, which is the reason that no one laid their hands on him or even arrested him is because, hear this, his time had not yet come. His time hadn't come. They were, don't miss this, they were restrained by the invisible hand of God. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to kill him. And the hand of God said, no. No. It is not his time. They couldn't act because they were under divine control. They thirsted for the blood of Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. Yet, by invisible strength from above, they were powerless to do anything. Not a hair on Jesus' head could be touched without divine permission because God was in control of, hear this, absolutely everything. And not only does that, does that apply to Jesus, it applies to you and me. God was in control of every moment of his life, Jesus' life, and God is in control of every moment of your life and every moment of my life, whether you choose to believe it or not. J.C. Ryle put it this way, and this is kind of lengthy, but just follow with me here. He says, neither Jew nor Gentile, Pharisee nor Sadducee, Annas or, or Caiaphas, Herod nor Pontius Pilate could have injured our Lord except power had been given them from above. All that they did was done under the control and by permission the crucifixion was part of the eternal counsels of the Trinity. The passions of our Lord could not begin until the very hour which God had appointed. This is a great mystery, but it is truth. Listen to what he says. The servants of Christ in every age should treasure up the doctrine before us and remember it in time of need. It's full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort to godly persons. Let such never forget that they live in a world where God overrules all times and events and where nothing can happen but by God's permission. That didn't get one amen. So apparently you guys don't believe that, but here is the reality. Anything that happens in your life, as much as it might suck for you, God allowed it to come into your life to build you up to be more like Jesus. And you might push it away. And what you're doing is you say, I don't want this. And I would never serve a God that would allow this to happen. And God is saying, but I want you to be more like my son. And I didn't withhold all the difficulties, all the pain, all the sorrow from my son. He went through it. And I won't withhold it from you. And you will go through it. And you will become more like him. So when we refuse to worship a God that would allow things to happen in our lives, what we're saying is, I don't want to be like Jesus. That's what we're saying. I don't want to be like him. I don't want to do that. And brothers and sisters, God has every right to take away anything he gives you because nothing is yours. Nothing is yours. And again, we don't like that God, but that is the God of Scripture. The very head of your hairs are numbered. Sorrow and sickness, poverty, persecution never can touch your life unless God sees fit. We can say, as we saw last week, your lives are in his hands. In his hands. Nothing can touch you unless God allows it. And the point is this. Jesus could not be touched until his time had come. And neither can we. Neither can we. You are completely, perfectly safe until your time has come. So therefore, brothers and sisters, live in obedience to him. There's nothing you can do to prolong that time that God has for you. Live in obedience to him. 
Instead of running for fear of what might happen, live in obedience knowing nothing can touch your life until that time comes. Now the difference is Jesus knew when the time was and we don't. But here's the reality. Our lives are in his hands. Our lives are in his hands. So why is Jesus still here? Because he is under the timetable of his father. He is under the divine timetable as we saw last week. Which leads us to the last question which is this. Where is Jesus going? Where is he going? Look at verses 33 and 34. It says, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer. And I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Jesus announces here for the first time that he would be returning to the one who sent him. And he says it will be a little while longer. And what we know is this, it will be less than six months from or around six months from this point. And how would he go back to the Father? Through the cross. So don't miss it. Within six months from this very moment, from these words, Jesus would lay down his life for your sin and mine. And here's what we see from the end of John 11 until his crucifixion. In the Gospel of John, eight full chapters are dedicated to the final week of Jesus' life. I read this week something very interesting. There are over 15,000 biographies of Abraham Lincoln. His life is, is covered in exhaustive detail. So his early life, the tragic loss of his mother in his childhood, his many failures, his time in the White House, the complexities of his faith, the complexities of his relationship with his wife, Mary Todd, his leadership during the Civil War, the personal tragedies that he experienced, the um, all, all of these things are taken into account, and the longest biography written of Lincoln is 5,000 pages. It's called The Life of Lincoln. It's written by two of his former secretaries. Yet in the 5,000 pages about Lincoln, they only spend 20 pages covering his assassination. But when the gospel writers wrote about Jesus, they didn't have the time to write the 5,000 pages. As you heard last week, in the Gospels, there are 579 verses that speak of the last day of his life, all leading to the cross. Why? Because the cross was the pinnacle, and through the cross and by the cross is the only way by which we make it to the Father. That's the whole point of it all. It's all about the cross. It's all what is happening here. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm about to go to heaven, and for that reason, you won't find me. But I believe that Jesus is saying something even greater, and please don't miss this. Follow with me here, because this is about to hit home to all of us. It could also mean, Jesus is saying, there's going to come a time where you're going to want a Savior. You're going to seek a Savior but the Savior that you need and the Savior that you are now rejecting will be gone from your midst and the opportunity will be too late. Listen, when it comes to spiritual things, brothers and sisters, there is such a thing as a missed opportunity. There is such a thing as opportunity gone. It's why the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. So seek him while you can find him because there might come a moment where you can't find him or he is no longer near. These are warnings all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament warning people about waiting too long. For hell, after all, is truth discovered too late. Jesus makes a very penetrating and powerful statement here. You will seek me and not find me. Which means that sinners will one day 
seek him. Sinners will one day want him, but they will not be able to find him. Listen, part of what hell is is suffering for sin, but hell is also eternal regret without remedy. Hell is everlasting remorse without hope. You will seek me and not be able to find me. What a horrible reality. Listen, hell is not just where Christ is forgotten. No, hell is where Christ is unavailable. You'll remember Christ forever, but you will not have availability to him forever. Where I am, Jesus says, you cannot come. Shut out of heaven forever. Let me be very, very clear today. I want you to hear this today. Heaven is not for everybody. Heaven is not for everybody. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, heaven is available. But heaven is not for everybody. It's only for those who will come to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who will bow the knee in this life to him. The fact is, Jesus' hand will only be extended in mercy for so long. One day, perhaps even very soon, the day of mercy will be over and the day of judgment will come. The day of salvation and mercy and grace is only so long. And then the day of judgment will arrive. And what that means is every decision you made on that day will be final. For those who wanted nothing of Christ in this life, you will get nothing of Christ forever. But yet for those in this life that understood that Christ is your life both now and always, he will be your life now and he will be your life forever. The decisions that we make here, brothers and sisters, are final. Do you know him? Are you missing out on him? Listen, we can know Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, know me. You can know me. Please know me. Yet at the same time, it's possible to be in the presence of Jesus and miss him. It's possible to miss out on him. It's possible to know a lot of stuff and still walk away. In fact, I was thinking this week, and I, I read this, this example I want to share with you. Charles Templeton is a name you probably don't know. But in the 1940s, he was a well-known Youth for Christ evangelist. For over 10 years, he was an evangelist for Youth for Christ, sharing the gospel, going all over, all over the, the U.S. However, after nearly a decade in the ministry, he publicly, publicly professed that he had become an agnostic. In 1996, he entitled his memoir, Farewell to God, My Reason for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for Faith, and it's an incredible book, recounts an interview that he had with then the elderly Templeton. The the conclusion of their conversation focused on Christ, and Strobel records this. His voice, which at times had displayed such sharp and insistent edge, now took on a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace, almost nostalgic, carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. He was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who'd ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except this was a form of greatness? Strobel admitted surprise and said, you sound like you really care about him. Templeton said, well, yes, he is the most important thing in my life. I, 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 he stuttered, searching for the words, 
I know it might sound strange, but I have to say, I adore him. Then Strobel wrote that Templeton uttered words he did not expect to hear. And if I may put it this way, he said as his voice began to crack, I miss him. I miss him. He knew all so many things and and knew how to declare Jesus' life in, in such amazing words. Yet, what didn't he say? He didn't say, he is the Christ, son of the living God, Savior and Lord of my life, who saved me, who has forgiven me, and who has offered a way for me. He didn't say that, which means this. Brothers and sisters, it's possible to know so many things about him and yet walk away from him. Even miss him. Where are you this morning in relation to the biblical Jesus? Is he a past thought in your life? Is he a past thought to you? Is he Lord of your life? Is he leading your life in this moment? Is your life missing Jesus? Now, I say that from two, step, two standpoints. Number one, are you here this morning and have never trusted Jesus as your Savior? If, you, if that is you, your life is missing him. You're missing everything because you don't have him. And today needs to be the day of salvation for you. It needs to be a day that you call on the name of the Lord and are saved. But also, there are children of God in this room that, if you're going to be honest, your life is missing Jesus. For right now, you're saved, but you're not following Jesus. You don't have a daily relationship with him. He's not the central part of your life. He's not leading God and directing your life on a day-to-day basis. Listen, don't miss out on the only Savior of sinners in the world and don't miss out on the only true source of joy, peace, and hope that there is offered to us. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples this, Who do you say that I am? And Jesus asked the same question to us today. But let me, let me go a step further. What Jesus isn't saying is this, Your opinion about me is really important. Because our opinion really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your opinion is to Jesus. Here's what matters. Have you responded rightly to the revelation of Jesus Christ from this book? Have you responded rightly to how Jesus has revealed himself? My opinion can't save you and your opinion can't save you. But Jesus can save you. And he can direct you and he can lead you and he will serve you. According to this book, he will serve you forever. Be your shepherd forever. That is the Jesus of this book and that's the one we want and that's the one we need. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we call the praise team forward. And we're going to enter into this time of invitation and consecration and say whatever it is that the Lord is calling us to do in this moment. The Bible says wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom in this moment to do what the Lord is calling you to do. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, the question before us is, Jesus, who are you? Who are we going to take you as? Are we going to take you as the the Jesus you you revealed yourself to be in your, your word? Or are we going to walk away and say, no, I have a better idea of who Jesus should be in my life? And the unfortunate reality, God, is any, any Jesus that we can create can't save us. Can't take our sin away from us. We must respond rightly to the Jesus of, of this book. Lord, help us to do so today in this moment. Finish this time. Lord, I pray for any that are in this room that don't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Holy Spirit, today would be a day that you take an individual, you bring them to life, and they are born again in you. But I also pray for...
brothers and sisters across this room that in honesty today they're missing Jesus they know a lot of stuff about him they know his birth, his life, his death his resurrection, his ascension but what they don't have right now in this moment is that ongoing relationship with him Jesus we thank you that you are near but we acknowledge that we can walk away I pray today would be a day of return today would be a day of prodigals returning as that prodigal son did and finding in you oh God joy love embrace finish this time in Jesus name